to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So today we're going to have a little flashback moment and then we're going to flow through into some of um, Song of Solomon. So, Song of Songs. So, chapter 3, verse 6. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with a sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posters of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. So some of the imagery there. So this, this is a crazy book because like I said in the previous weeks, this is a book that was considered a secular book. It's, it's not one of the books that people, when it was instantly wrote, no one was going like, this is totally a God thing. Like God's all over this. This is like a, a secular kind of like, it was kind of like, I don't know, boys to men, a kind of like love kind of song, like really smooth grooves, kind of like with the vocals. People used to sing this in taverns through, through Song of Solomon because a lot of it is like, um, I, I don't know, another level. I want to get freaky with you. It's kind of like that. A lot of the, the book, it, it goes down that road. But then there are these moments where you're reading it and you're like, say, what? This, this is a bit of a weird one. This is a bit of a crazy one, which led to Rabbi Akiva saying, actually, you know what? Don't just get smashed in a tavern drinking, listening to this song like it's something um, lewd or, or, or crude. This is, this is something beautiful and sacred. And he would say that this is actually, all scripture is sacred, but this is the holy of holies. And that actually when we realize the intimacy that God wants to have with you, the intimacy that God wants to have with me, we can see it in a completely different light and complexion. And when we look through this little snippet in chapter 3, we see some things which are kind of like, not just like a love song, but actually look slightly prophetic. And I mean, it's only when you look at the story over thousands of years as everything comes into play and falls into motion, you start to realize, wow, this is a bit crazy. So what's that coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke? So we did a series of looking at Mark's gospel, and as we were going through there, one of the key things in Mark chapter 1 is all about the wilderness, the wilderness, the wilderness, the wilderness. The children of Israel, Back in the day, OG, old school, enslaved, slaves in Egypt, when they get set free, they're traveling through the wilderness. As they're going through the wilderness, they're led by a pillar of fire by um, a pillar of smoke by um, day and a cloud of fire and the pillar of fire by night. And so in this moment, this 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 kind of bit of poetry is referencing this moment looking backwards, going, what is coming up from the wilderness. This is the wedding, by the way. So this is like coming to the moment of, you know, as we would have like going down the aisle together. Who are you two? Married? You love beds? Oh, Liam's actually gone shy. That's amazing. Never happened before. <laughs> what is co- that coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke? And then perfume with myrrh and frankincense with the fragrant powders of a merchant, which is crazy. It's almost like the person penning this, this love song has some inside knowledge of what's going to be happening hundreds and hundreds of years after. What is that coming up from the wilderness, like a column of smoke? So the column of smoke, Israel had that, but there's this sense of guidance, this sense of God leading them to the promised land, leading them into these promises, that when she looks at her groom and he arrives, that's what she sees. But actually, that's also what you and I see when God comes into our life. 
It's this moment of direction, this moment of leading, this moment of no longer a life that is vacuous, a life that is lived without purpose, but one where we're guided, one by we have meaning against. And it says perfumed with fragrance of, of myrrh and frankincense, all the fragrant powders of a merchant. You'd think this, this guy, just before he got married, has been hanging around with some wise men. I don't know if that's you guys or me, but mm, it's, it's like, it's almost like they were there. The whole, it talks about the litter, he's got his, he's rolling deep with his, his groomsmen, I'm not gonna lie, 60 men. I did not have that many groomsmen for my wedding. I mean, I thank God, I think we had like 120 people for the sit down. If half of them were my groomsmen, I mean, geez, I wouldn't have got married. Jody would have, would have left me. Uh, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords. They're expert, they're ready to, they're ready to bang out. And then King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts from silver and its back of gold and its seat of purple and its inlaid with love. And you get this kind of imagery, this kind of like wooden imagery. And, and for me, and as I'm reading through this and reading about this wedding, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the cross in there. I'm seeing the silver playing its part with Judas in there. I'm seeing the gold that the, the wise men brought, um, the seat of purple, he's a priest. And all this stuff is kind of connecting together. But then they're talking about what is this? It's strange, it's peculiar to them. It's not what they thought was coming. Like they didn't realize that actually what they were going through was a romantic story. They didn't realize that God was coming in a way that was loving towards them, that was so wonderful towards them. They'd always seen God with a different tension in mind. They'd always seen it so, so, so differently. And then in chapter seven and eight, which we're looking at today, chapter seven is basically another level I wanna get freaky with you. It's just focusing in on the different parts of the woman's body. So this is why little boys were banned from reading it in Jewish culture. They couldn't read it because I mean, I'm gonna give you one. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. I mean, that's kind of like, Wow, you've really observed. You've been checking this girl out for a while, man. You know what I mean? And then he goes on to talk about her entire body, her neck, her stomach, her breasts. Um, I want to encourage and comfort everyone, by the way, that that God doesn't see us all in a sexual way. That's That's not kind of what Song of Solomon's about. That's not what Rabbi Akiva was tapping into. But what it does show us is it shows us how much God desires us. The idea that God desires me is an alien concept for me. I don't know about you. Like naturally, my inclination is I don't look at myself, who I am, what I've done, where I've been, where I've gone, where I'm going, and think I would be someone that God would desire. Like you may not have that. You may be a narcissist. You may think the universe goes around your orbit and that you are the greatest things to slice bread and that of course God would want you. Fantastic if you do. What I've found is most human beings I've chatted to don't have, aren't that way inclined. It's much more of a nervousness, a fearfulness. And when they talk about things, they either are one or two ways. They talk about God in a way like a bull. They go charging in, angry, hurtful, resentful, because deep down their fear is that they would be rejected, that they're not wanted. If they're not like that, they're much more prickly in conversation. They're much more like a hedgehog. They curl up into a bull, the defenses come out. And they don't really want to talk about the pain and their own hurt and inadequacy inside. But yet through chapter seven, it's this desire, this consistent perpetual desire and the idea that God will consistently, continually, perpetually desire you, desire me. That is an insane concept for me. It's not something I can get my head around. It's not even something I find easy to believe in. The idea that God desires me, the idea that God loves me, 
but it's 100% true. And as we go through Song of Solomon, it's there all along. We see her insecurity. She's insecure about the shade of her, her skin because she's a worker in the field and she's been kissed by the sun. And, and she's worried that her family are lowly and peasants and they weren't enough of them. And so she had to be a shepherdess. So her hands and her skin is all, is all broken while other women in her community have this perfect skin because they've been shaded from the sun and because they've never had to work a day in their life. And she's so insecure and hung up on these things. But you know what? You and I are exactly the same. Every single person has a part of their story, part of their history that they're hung up about that leaves them to be insecure. Like you start talking to someone about where they've been and, or about themselves and very rarely do you meet someone who's so comfortable in their own skin that they can only talk to you about the list of positivities. And even when they do, sometimes you can hear behind it that actually it's just a mirror. It's just a to cover up from what really lies beneath the surface. We all have things that cause us to doubt our beauty and like, what, me? You like me? What? How? What? Like, wow. And then we get to like chapter eight, which is where we're going to finish the story this week. In chapter eight, verse five, who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The question behind it is this, it's done now, they're married and now she's coming out of the wilderness, just like Israel came out of the wilderness. They were in the wilderness, they were at Mount Sinai when God gave the DNA, the fabric of who they were gonna be as a society. He said, I do, they said, I do. They became a people, they moved out and they transitioned moving towards the promises of God and the promised land. The, the, here, the moment in this story is, it brings up that history and that story and it looks on at her and the groom coming out and they see the groom, they see him, but they look and, and the, the question is, what, who is that? Leaning on her beloved, leaning on the beloved, the key figure, the groom in this. They're looking almost as if they can't believe it. They can't believe it's actually happened, that she's actually married him, that he actually did desire her all this time, that it's finally come to fruition. I think the thing that happens with you and I is there has to become a moment where we go from, in the words of my absolute hero, Jurgen Klopp, we have to go from doubters to believers. He's the Liverpool manager, by the way. Let's pray for brother Jurgen Klopp right now for a busy day at work. No, I'm joking, but he is a Christian anyway, but hey. We have to turn from doubters to believers. And there has to become a moment where you stop being the one hung up on all the reasons why it shouldn't happen, why this shouldn't be me. So many people can, can have the desire to see the good in something happening to someone else, but the idea of them being the one that it happens to, they struggle with so desperately. Who is that coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? In their language, this word is never used in the whole of the Old Testament. It's never used in any Hebrew scriptures. You have to look at it outside of the context that it's always in a relationship and intimacy kind of way. And there's this sense that they are now one coming out. And then in verse six and seven, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes as flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench this love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. A seal. A seal is like a sign of, of, of prophet. Well, it's just like, oh, it's the cat. That's cool. That's cool. Let me tell you, there was one time in a service here that was so freaky. We used to meet at the front, and um, I don't know how this happened. I wasn't there. I was preaching at another church. So it was obviously that because I wasn't here, like God's favor was not in the building. But like, they were meeting at the front, they had some worship, and they're just about to speak and stuff. And a pigeon flew straight through, all the way through the bar, head first into the window fell on the floor, shook and died. And they were kind of like standing there, just like, like, just like 
I do not know if they were preaching about sacrifice and atonement that day. I mean, I was like, so what did you do? Did you like, you know, make a joke about a bird offering, like a dove, or did you talk about the pigeons in the New Testament? Like, and they were looking at me like, no. I was like, oh, you missed an opportunity. But literally a bird flew through, hit the window, dropped down dead. I mean, I was like, geez, so the cat, that's good, don't worry. Things are going great today. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. A seal is about property. It's a legally binding thing that would be worn around their neck, not so much on the arm. Often, sometimes, it's a signet ring um, as well. And, and so the desire here is that she would be like a, a seal. She would be an outward thing that you could see on the arm to say that she is his and he is hers, that this wasn't something just internal that's kept aside and secretly there. And I think the big question, actually, when it comes to faith is I think so often faith is always this, this secret thing. It's this private thing. And she's going like, no, I want this to be a seal upon your heart. I want this to be who you are. But this can't be something that's hidden. This can't be something that's kept secret. This is something that flows out. I want it to be both inwardly and outwardly. And I think sometimes we don't have this desire for this love to be that. And I think so often we miss out on so much that God has for us because we either want something to be a secret thing or we want it to be a public thing. We're never thinking about the marriage of the two. We're never thinking about the two of the things in perfect balance with one another. And that's what happens here. And I think one of the reasons so often that faith is always like an internal thing. We want to talk about a seal upon our heart and we never want to talk about a seal that is outward, that is visible, is because I think so often the big question that hangs over us is the same question she had in the beginning chapters and that is about her insecurities her own inadequacies her own failures do you know how many times I've chatted to someone who's going to be like oh man I can't really tell someone about faith I can't really tell someone about God because they know me and my life is a mess in this area my life is a mess in that area my life is a mess in that area and so if I tell them they're just going to look at me and say that I'm a hypocrite well the thing about City Hill is people always say church is full of hypocrites I always say that's completely false we've got room for loads more I mean we could sit about 10 over there alone you know what I mean we've got room for tons of hypocrites here you know we could we could stick some more outside if we wanted to man I, I turn up every Sunday I know I'm a hypocrite I'm not hiding away from that I'm not I'm trusting and believing in God that he's going to do something in me and, and, and my point is about what God does in me not so much as in what I do my focus is never I've never gone anywhere ever and gone hey there's this guy Andy he's a great stand-up guy like he would just transform your life if you just spent some time around Andy. If you spent too much time around me, you would jump. You would be a jumper on a building. Like it would not be something you would want to do. That's the truth of it. But I think so often what you and I want is, is we allow the insecurity to overwhelm the conversation. But then the gospel steps in in this story because you see in, in Jeremiah 7.20 it says, Behold my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man, upon beast, upon fields, upon trees of the field, upon fruit of the ground. It will burn and it will not be quenched. And you see their understanding had always been that God's judgment was something that couldn't be quenched. It was like the unstoppable force. But you know how they always say, what happens when the unstoppable force hits the immovable object? And so for the first time, as we're reading through this, it says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Well, what's death? When the Bible talks about death, it says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And then in that passage we just read, it talks about a judgment that comes because of sin that cannot be quenched. That God just says, my anger, my wrath, it just cannot be quenched. It just burns and it burns and it burns and there's nothing that can be done. But then... In this love letter, in this moment, there's this idea, this notion that actually there is this love that is as strong as death. 
that the very consequence, the very thing that takes away our life, that takes away everything from us, that drains us, that kills us, that saps us of the life-giving power that God has for us, there is a love that is as strong as it. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. A jealousy. Do you know the Bible says that God jealously desires you? He jealously desires me. His love is as strong as death and His jealousy is as strong and as fierce as the grave. It's like His love is so passionate, His love is so fierce that it's like the judgment and the love go head on. The unstoppable force hits the immovable object for all eternity and it's just there locked in this perfect moment of balance that is found on the cross, that is found with this man who is fragrance with myrrh, that is fragrance with, with frankincense, that is, that is, that is coming and his, his wooden built carriage that is coming with gold, that is coming as a priest in, in purple, that is coming as a groom to his bride. And it is this love that is so strong, that is as strong as death. It is this jealous desire that he has for you, that he has for me, that is as fierce as the grave. It flashes a flash of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench this love. Many waters, it talks about torrential rain. Torrential rain cannot quench this love, neither can floods drown it. The idea is that they're referencing Noah, they're referencing judgment for all of mankind where the flood came that couldn't be stopped. And the idea is that this love is so strong, this flame flickers so much that even if the torrential rains were to happen again, even if God wasn't to keep his promise, even if the flood were to happen and the whole earth be covered, this fire couldn't be put out. This fire would continue and continue and continue. You see, I honestly believe today that there is this incredible moment of balance for you and I where judgment hits love. Where the, sin, where the wrath of God was poured out on His Son Jesus in your place, in my place. Where perpetually, for all eternity, the Scriptures say, worthy is the Lamb on the throne. That the one who was slain, the one who gave His life, lives perpetually for us. That we can have freedom, that we can have wholeness. Today, I want us to spend a time of prayer just for, for two things. Firstly, I want us to pray alone for ourselves, quietly for a moment, in our heart, asking God for forgiveness for our sins, asking God that, that we would be as a seal on his heart, a seal upon his arm, that we want a visible and internal relationship with him, where it's outward and inwards. And then lastly, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a moment where we're gonna pray for one another and just pray that God will burn a fire in our hearts. And that's it for today. I'm going to pray for us and then you guys have a moment of reflection. Father, I thank you that in Song of Solomon, we don't just have a secular song getting drunk on the idea of love one to another, but that actually it stretches past that and leads us to a place of love in you. Something that can take us past our insecurity and our hang-ups and lead us to a place of wholeness and healing and balance. Father God, we spend so much of our lives running away from judgment, yet you call us to run to it. We can't run away from the floods of your judgment. In baptism, we run into it and come out of a cleansed conscience knowing that you have died in our place and forgiven us and you make us whole and that you are making us something else. Father, I pray that today, as we meet in the, in the perfect balance of judgment and love, coming to you for judgment and asking for forgiveness, knowing that your love is merciful and gracious to us, that you will receive us as we are. I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, you will transform us to be something beyond anything we ever dreamed, asked, or thought could be possible within our own lives. Father, as we take a moment to talk to you personally about the hang-up 
that's lingering on in the back of our mind, that was lingering on in her mind with her lover. I pray as we talk to you about that, Father, we'd find forgiveness and peace and comfort in our own skin. And Father, I pray that as we have a moment, one to another, praying that we have a fire within us that burns, that cannot be quenched. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to take a moment just to pray for, pray for yourself quietly, and then I'll let you know when we're done, and then we'll just pray one for another. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.